Well, it's been four years since the population of the autonomous region of Bougainville overwhelmingly voted in referendum for independence from Papua New Guinea. But they still wait for the Papua government's vote to agree to it. Artist Taloi Havini began life in Bougainville, but she fled with her family to Australia aged nine due to a civil war which claimed 15,000 lives there. Her parents, Moses and Marilyn, were key negotiators in the peace and the granting of autonomy for the island that followed, and it was negotiated in all pla- of all places the Burnham military camp in Canterbury. And this year, Taloi Havini has been artist-in-residence at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, where she's been connecting with the Pacific Island community and exploring that legacy. The resulting exhibition is called Shared Aspirations, and it even features her mother Marilyn's beautiful paintings. Now, I got to spoke with, speak with uh, Taloi in Brisbane, together with her mother uh, Marilyn in Booker, Bougainville. And as you'll hear, once again Kiwis came to the help. Marilyn, unexpectedly at the last moment, ended up doing the interview from the New Zealand manned local police station. I will leave you with Marilyn Havini here and oh, I will just get out of your way. Oh, Thank wow. You. It took a New Zealand police officer to help us out. <laughs> You're in good hands. That's how good they are. Kapai. Marilyn, kia ora, hello from I'm Wellington. Ready. Kia ora. Kia ora, Mark. Lovely to speak with you. Um, so you best tell me. So you've ended up, uh, rather than at the radio station, with the New Zealand police. Taloi was just telling me that uh, you yes. you guys over there chose to have the New Zealand police uh, helping your training, right? Oh, yes. Uh, well, you know, during the peace process, at the end of the Lincoln talks, when the New Zealand Foreign Affairs Minister uh, spoke to us and said, well, we have um, we've actually exhausted our budget for the peace process but we said is there one thing you would like for New Zealand to continue with in involvement with Bougainville and the women said yes we want the uh, we want our own community policing we don't want we, we, we don't want the foreign Papua New Guinea police force here we'd like to set up our own community police system and yes. there won't be a force there'll be a and that's what New Zealand then committed to. Well, it's wonderful to know you're being and being cared for by us over there right now. <laughs> Literally team, right now. <laughs> With you on the line there from Booker, I'm interested to know, because New Zealanders don't know much about Bougainville, even though we have our police force there, whether, how, what you could tell us a little <laughs> bit about the life and culture there today. Oh, well, Bougainville is a unique uh, Melanesian people. They... We have surprised ourselves with recent data back from all the community government data collections that our population is now well over 650,000 people, but more likely, um, I heard from one of the ministers of the Executive Council, more likely 700,000. Well, that's a sizable population. That is a sizable population and much larger than many Pacific nations, yes. And what... Uh, they have been colonised. Well, they never, ever did cede their authority. They they were originally under a British protectorate and that, and then the Crown signed letters with Bismarck from Germany and um, swapped it over to Germany, so in exchange for phosphate mining. And then, it, of course, during the First World War, it was taken over by the League of Nation, Nations um, allies coming in and so the Germans lost it and it became under the League of Nations a trust territory to Australia until the Second World War when Japan invaded 
And then, of course, our allies arrived again, which included the USA and the New Zealand and Australian forces. Uh, so all of these successive powers that be that, that governed Bougainville had always been by invasion. Nobody in Bougainville had ever ceded or you know, bent the knee and said, we accept you as our overlords. <laughs> uh, eventually, it was returned to the United Nations as a trust territory to be administered along with Papua New Guinea, with Papua and New Guinea. You're closer geographically, much closer. You're very close, in fact, to the Solomons. Um, and I wondered if you were you felt culturally closer to the Solomons than Papua New Absolutely. Guinea. Absolutely, in every way, ethnically, culturally, uh, even the, the the skin color, but geographically, uh, even language-wise. Well, the people have relations across the border and in the exhibition the painting that i did from kangu wharf is looking to the solomons and the um, background is littered with all the islands the solomon western solomon islands on the horizon i've seen that, that painting. painting yes it's a wonderful painting and, and congratulations i see most of the paintings in Taloy's show that are yours and they're all yours uh, most of them are recent and they're, and they're beautiful thank you i'm glad you've been there and seen them well yes they were all painted uh, ten of them were painted this year between April and June. Taloy, maybe I could pass to you. You were nine, I think, when you 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 and the family moved, and you you weren't able to return to your nineteen. How often do you get to visit now? Um, I've been returning. So in two thousand and six, Mum, that you moved there with Dad. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. So yes, ever yes. since uh, Mum and Dad went back home to uh, Dad's Mum's village. So um, naturally, when they went back, if you want to see your mum and dad, so it'd be every year I'd go back. And, and I mean, your parents were activists, and uh, I, I, I guess you as an artist, do you see yourself as an activist through art? It's funny, you know, people sort of ask me that question, are you, are, you know, are you an activist? And I, I think, well, I'm actually an artist and I identify with my Indigenous father's people as Nakas and the landowner. Not sure activist is something right. that I put on as a label. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of the values that we we have as an Indigenous people, activists have um, who are not Indigenous. So you can be an Indigenous and activist when the time comes, but you're always going to be a landowner and speak up for what you believe in. So the arts does something different. I mean, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I, I know that back in the mid-70s, Marilyn, you were involved in creating a flag for Bougainville. I was asked by the chiefs to sit down and apply because it was a, a competition that was put up by um, colonial government. That I won an Australian dollars, $100 prize for being the winner of 150 <laughs> entries in, in a flag competition. I, w I was an art teacher and based here in living with the people. Mm. And my husband, knowing that I was an artist, naturally turned to me because he was the chief executive officer that was establishing the provincial government to replace the colonial government. And so it was a group entry from our, our chiefs. I wasn't doing it as an activist thing at all. Well, I sat down and, I sat down and workshopped it with them and, and I said, well, you know, what is your equivalent to a crown? If, the, if you look at the, 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 you know, the colonial symbols, what would your equivalent be for authority? What would your equivalent be for identity? What are your traditional colours? Can you tell us what those symbols are? I know they're sort of on a background of the blue representing the sea around the island. Yes, well, that, that blue water concept, I later found out many years later during the conflict 
listening to a very important speech about the United Nations checklist of what constitutes a people to qualify for a universal declaration of independence to become an independent people and the blue water they termed that whole checklist the blue water concept so that was serendipity that was something that i did not know when i i chose the cap cap that central shell circular disc because that is a symbol of authority that chiefs both queens and chief male chiefs female and male chiefs would wear it's a mother of pearl beautiful mother of pearl uh -huh. shell disc that is worn on either the chest or on the forehead or even on the back between the shoulders and then intricately carved on top of that will be a mother of uh, sorry on the mother of pearl would be the the turtle shell design that will usually include the triangular pattern as one of the rows but concentric rows inside and in the very center will be the symbol that symbolizes the identity of the wearer the, the, the turtle shell, I thought, well, brown doesn't really cover, carry well as a flag colour. And so I went with the green representing the islands. So it's a double layer of meaning. The outer white shell is also the reef, as the, and that's their source of protein. The reefs are very, very important mm. to a seagoing, and it separates them, the land from the sea, but it also is the in-between of sustenance. And then inside of that, I put black representing the people. They are known as the blackest people of the Pacific. And then in the centre, I said, well, the centre, when having been a lecturer at Port Moresby in a teacher's college there, and I used to go take my students from all over Papua New Guinea to their museum to look for uh, artworks for wherever they might be sent as teachers, to be art teachers around the country, there was only one item in the entire museum that was from Bougainville and it was an impact and that's this traditional headdress that men that young boys put on they make for themselves and they wear it for the years of education in the bush in the jungle under the tutelage of their senior chiefs and when they emerge from the jungle with those upes and proudly wear them produce them they are men so it became to me a symbol of nationhood. And here I brought in the symbolism of male and female because if you look at any of the uh, carvings of, of the Bougainville people, they will show, and even as we dress today, customarily for any kind of performance, the men, they'll have a central red stripe from their forehead right across the top of the crown of their head. And the women, they don't have a central one. They have one either side above each temple okay. going across and above their ears. So the three red stripes are men and women together becoming a nation, becoming a people of this island of Bougainville that is distinctly you know, on its own in the Pacific. Yeah. So I, I feel like I've, I've learned quite a bit about your culture, Marilyn, just by asking you about the flag. <laughs> we haven't even got our own one yet, so... <laughs> Taloy, I'm going to pass oh, right. to you and to this exhibition in Dunedin, Shared Aspirations, mm -hmm. and you've been um, in residence there. Why did you end up in Dunedin? There was something in the back of my mind about Bougainville's relationship with New Zealand, and I'd known that my father had spent time uh, in New Zealand, um, not just with the Bougainville peace process, but with his own connections with Māori and Pacific, especially the nuclear-free and independent Pacific 
So I was just curious to, to, to go and revisit that. Yeah. So you've structured this installation around the peace negotiations that took place in Christchurch, I think. Could you maybe elaborate a little on what, what you've done there? Yeah, so when I arrived, I, most people as residencies happen, which are really great for artists, is you have time to develop what you're going to do uh, over the six months. And so when I arrived, the curators at Dunedin Public Art Gallery had reached out to anyone in the Pacifica community and naturally there were relationships there. And they knew exactly who my father was. Gosh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So I, I felt like I landed in a village. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was swept up at, at the airport each time, was swept up. You know, I had the Otipoti Pacifica Arts Collective, yes. people like Marie and Pip Laufiso, who oh, were part yes, of that. Oh, yes, to them, yes. Um, Corso, um, and they all were t- filling me in at different parts. Uh, Suzanne Malen- Menzies-Cullens as well. And I just thought, wow, I can't not do something that, you know, connects to that lineage that, that my father uh, had with um, grassroots activism and community around self-determination. And then later, I knew that I'd inherited my parents' photographic archives, mainly because I'm a nerd and I want to digitise them. <laughs> but also for me, as a teenager, I'd see them go off to peace talks. And so... To get back to your question, what I did was I went back home to mum and I said, look, mum, you're repainting. You did a painting series last year. Do you think we could do something about your archive, uh, the Burnham Peace Talks, but also be a bit archive heavy? Why don't we do scenes of Bougainville? So as you walk in to the exhibition, all the paintings uh, pay homage to mum's long-standing practice of painting on plain air in Bougainville since the 60s. Yeah, beautiful and landscape painting, as I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, so as you walk in, all around the outside edge are paintings that we decided were important, sites of significance, uh, all the way from the north of the island down to the south, central, Panguna, yeah, Arawa, the town. And my video works also, it's it's intermixed her video works, uh, my video works with her paintings, but it's separated by two curtains that form a kind of formal space in the centre of the room, the gallery. And in this room is the table that is designed to reflect the negotiation table that happened at the Burnham Peace Talks. And on that table, photos, documentation, kind of like you know, a cabinet, a story that talks about the aspirations of the people. And that's why it's called Shared Aspirations. And in here, we're able to broaden the story from time, 1960 to present day, but also include people like um, a lot of the women, Sister Lorraine, Ruby Marinka, um, and a lot of those leaders, including my father, who are not here today. Yeah. The first president, Joseph Kabui. Leo Hannett, and also people that are here today. So my mother was very integral because she was there. I'm speaking to Marilyn Tavini in Bougainville and to her daughter, Taloi Havini, in Brisbane. And interesting, of course, you know, Dunedin or Tepoti is a long way from Bougainville, but so is the Burnham military camp where I think it was 1997 you had various Bougainville factions there uh, with the peace talks, and I think that led on the the following peace process that went on. Marilyn, um, that... 
sounds like an extraordinary time. Do you have good memories of it? Yes, I do. We had lived through the horror of a conflict that nobody expected to last longer than the Second World War. And we'd had so many failed attempts at uh, ceasefires and, and peace talks that when Moses was asked to fly to New Zealand from this is, the This is your, your husband, Taloi's father, yes? My husband, yes, yes. Alexander Downer had became Foreign Affairs Minister. He had been in the bipartisan uh, committee that had been looking at the vulnerable situation. And he had promised the people that if he got into power, that he, the first thing he would do would turn his attention to his process for Bougainville. But when Moses was formally received and asked would he fly to New Zealand to try and establish a peace process, Moses said uh, yes if he could bring women, if they would include women in the peace process, because Moses had been leading delegations to run the blockade each year to go to the United Nations Commission for Human Rights. And we'd had four resolutions from the United Nations demanding that there would be negotiations and peace talks. So Moses in that process had learnt the significance of including women, not just men talking heads or fighting heads, but to bring women as the sign that it was a holistic community. So that's what happened. And when they placed us at Burnham, that was middle of winter, July. Oh. It was incredibly <laughs> cold. But the biggest thing the biggest thing that New Zealand had to offer was culture. Because really? when when we all the previous talks, peace talks, had been very well cared for, you know, the, put in top quality hotels, um, allowed to move freely and have beautiful meals laid on with with swimming pools, etc., and the men uh, would would have these sit down in these conference rooms and battle it out, and it was like a battle, two sides, who's going to win? But when we came to the Burnham Army Camp, we were under this strict military uh, discipline and 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 couldn't fraternize with each other at all. It was a whole week that we weren't allowed to ever see each other except. The, the conference room that Tullow has recreated with that table. But we, on arrival, were challenged by the Maori ceremony for free and they laid a feather down and they yes, challenged the our, mm. our... And that shook these men because they understood culture. He was a culture that spoke to them and they were feeling, I suppose, exposed or... We can't fool each other here. This has got to be real. It brought a whole new dimension of, of traditional philosophy to how they approached talking to other to yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand uh, what I'm saying? And yes, it, I do. It was, it was a combination of the fact that, that the, they put so much in place for those talks to succeed. You might have noticed if you went to the exhibition that we have a the massacre photos on covered by a lap lap up on or what you call a piece of cloth up on one end of the table on the curtain. Well, what happened is during the peace process when the men were saying, "Well, we could stop the fight from our side, but we don't trust your side that you'll stop. If we stop shooting, will you stop shooting?" Thing the women's intervention was, "Well, 
we don't hold any guns. You've all got guns. You can point at someone else, but the, all the guns are pointing at us. Um, and even that couldn't bring a breakthrough. So Moses, my husband, I brought, I, I'd been appointed the human rights officer by the Bougainville interim government. So I had with me the, the photos of the massacres that had been smuggled out that had uh, got onto the front pages of the Australian newspapers and wow. proved beyond doubt that civilians were being massacred. Well, I brought those photos with me. And Moses asked permission. We smuggled, we were smuggled into the conference room and we put them up on a whiteboard that was standing up <laughs> at one end of the conference room. And we covered them with a lap lap. Huh. And we left them there. Nobody knew but nobody knew, right? Huh. So later when the next day when the talks got to an impasse, so on a signal from Moses I got up with him and we lifted the lap lap up oh. and we said, this is why you've all got to stop. That's remarkable. And we showed them those photos. Just this year, the speaker of our ABG parliament was at my home for the first time ever. And he said to me, Marilyn, do you remember at the peace talks when you and your husband showed the massacre photos on that board? And I said, yes. He said, I've never forgotten that. And that's, that's what's really good because um, that conversation when mum told me that, I said, well, we've got to have that story in here. And so that was a later addition. Like we had a weekend before the next week that staff would arrive. And so we said, hey, we've just changed the exhibition a bit. <laughs> we've got this board up, but we need a piece of cloth we didn't bring. And um, the Solomon Island community, we just thought, oh, you know, they've been so supportive to us while we've been in New Zealand. And um, so the current lap lap or piece of cloth that's up is actually gifted temporarily oh, wow. by the Solomon Island community in Otipoti and that was so beautiful. So it was sort of, you could feel goosebumps, um, a past event but very real and still with us and, and our relationship with the existing Solomon Island community also being part of that story. That's amazing. The, the, most, the most amount of uh, refugees from Bougainville, we had thousands of um, refugees camping out in Solomon's. Ah. You know, ah. uh, to Marilyn, your mother was talking around the woman being invited to the to the Burn and Peace talks, and one of the things that strikes me about the exhibition, of course, is that it's mother and daughter together. But I also understand that it's a, a matrilineal society. It's one of the world's matrilineal societies. I think deep down, it's always there. Like when you come from a matrilineal society, the men in your family support and love women um, and see the roles that they hold chiefly roles and and there's more of a collective and consensus um, not based on your gender to limit you for certain things and so mm. my father if he was here but he's um, now an ancestor <laughs> um, he'd be cheering all the way you know my father always said you know, you've got your culture in one hand and your education in the other. Um, and he supported my mother as an artist. So, yeah, working with mum is a way through art to to sort of create artwork and an exhibition, but also to resolve and make sense of the past. May I say here that, the, to add to what Talloway is saying, that the male, the men still have a very, very significant role and they're protectors. And before I left, I did a preview to the clan of the paintings. 
and they gave their blessing and they released Taloi and myself to be fully free to go out and represent them and their culture and their people with this exhibition. And that included Taloi's uh, video work on reconciliation where the central screen is mainly of a lady called Jane who was her auntie who had just recently died. And even though we hadn't completed the mourning period and hadn't done the finishing, sorry, that culture only just happened last Saturday. But they, knowing that her voice, her face would appear in that exhibition during this period, they still gave it a blessing because we honored them and we brought it to them. They cooked pig. They actually cooked pig, killed a pig <laughs> and, and had, a, had a special releasing feast. That was Marilyn and Taloi Havini, mother and daughter, and their exhibition Shared Aspirations is on it until 12th of November at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery.